Good morning, people of God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And Father God, we just thank you for another day. This is Apostle Shirley Evans speaking to God's people. Today being the 23rd of October, 2020. The time is 1028 AM. We just thank you, Father, for another day. We thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding that you placed upon us. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Without you, we can do nothing. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came down to the sinful world to redeem us back to the Father, full of, full of love, full of grace and full of mercy. And we pray today that at as the Holy Spirit is about to teach us and minister to us, may the hearers of this teaching apply the word and not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word in the name of Jesus. And I pray that whatever assignment God has given you, that you carry it out by the, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we're still talking about glorifying God. And so this morning, we always do the praise and we do worship. And we're going to do that. But I'll, I'll, I'll speak a few scriptures in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. Um, I'll, I'll read that right now before I get into the worship. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 24 declares, Proverbs 12 and 24 declares, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23 declares in all labor there is profit but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury and Proverbs chapter 18 verse 9 declares Proverbs 18 verse 9 declares he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster and they are the scriptures i'm reading to you i'm going to read another one to you in proverbs chapter 22 verse 29 proverbs 22 verse 29 declares Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. That's the word of the Lord. And I'm going to read another scripture to you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26 to 30. Matthew 25. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 
Matthew chapter 25, verse 26 to 30. And the word of the Lord declares, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strewed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Under his wings, I am safely abiding, though the night glitters and darkness are wild. Still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me and I am his child. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings, my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Under his wings, what a refuge in sorrow. <coughs> How the heart yearningly turns to his rest. Often when earth has no balm for my healing, there I find comfort and there I am blessed. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever under his wings my soul shall abide safely abide forever under his wings what a refuge in sorrow how the heart yearningly turns to his rest Often when earth has no balm for my healing, there I find comfort and there I find rest. Under his wings, oh what precious enjoyment, there will I hide till life's trials are all sheltered, protected, no evil can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever. Under his wings, my soul shall abide 
safely abide forever. Safely abide forever. I want to read another psalm. The heading is, it's in God's care. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasted at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet. Because he had set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the word of the Lord. And Father, as I as you've given me this teaching today, God, right now, I bind every strong man of destruction. In the name of Jesus, I cover this word with the blood of Jesus and Holy Spirit, send your ministering angels as I minister this word this morning. Guard my heart and my mind and give me grace to bring forth this teaching in the name of Jesus. I give you praise and I give you honor for you alone are worthy to be praised, Father. And so this morning, we are still talking about glorying God and letting the glory come out of us. Glorying God means releasing our full potential. We do this in two ways. One, by work we do every day and by pursuing a life of personal holiness. We glorify God in our work, not only in the nature of that work, but in the attitude we take toward it. Remember the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10. And in the letter to Colossians, Paul wrote this letter. Paul said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I always tell people, it might be hard, 
but you're not doing unto man, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Although and though, although in this instance in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, I want to read it, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You're not doing it unto men. Although in this instance Paul was specifically addressing Christian slaves, the principle has universal application. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about both the virtue of work and the danger of indolence. We read a few minutes ago in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs chapter 14, 23, which we read, all hard work brings a profit but mere talk leads only to poverty. I remember I knew someone who was sitting all down all day and said she's waiting, she's getting a job, she's waiting, but she was just talking. She never pursued any work. So what happened? It led to her poverty. Proverbs chapter 18, verse nine, as we read a while ago, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. In Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, Jesus tells a parable that clearly reveals God's attitude toward our dying in seed form. A man going on a journey entrusts some of his money to three of his servants, giving five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. The first two servants go out immediately and through diligent work and wise investments double their master's money. The third servant simply buries the talent he was given, buried it in the ground. Upon the master's return, he praises and rewards the two faithful servants saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. It's a lot of times we, we are doing the will of God. And you know, if you listen to people around you, you will just not do what God has called you to do. You will bury your talent. But when he comes, do you expect him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? No, 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 no. You've been slothful. 
Whatever he tells us to do, let us do it, no matter what. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But what happened to the third servant? The third servant, however, he has only harsh words to say to him. And these are the harsh words he says in Matthew 25, 26 to 30. You wicked, lazy servant, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People of God, let me say this to you. There are times when God will give you talents. Do not bury it. Many days and many times you would face discouragement from your own. But continue to be focused and do what God has called you to do. Do not bury your talent. The servant who despised and ignored what his master gave him was judged as being both wicked and lazy. And so wicked and lazy also means that servant was malicious, derelict. He was, he was, he, he, he was just wicked. Wickedness means dying with your glory inside of you. We are wicked if we do not bring forth our full selves and do not reveal who we really are. Life is all about emptying, emptying, pouring out. When Jesus went at the well, and here was a woman. Jesus was tired from his journey, but he was still pouring out. He sat at that well, and he was pouring out to the woman. Do not keep it inside. Pour it out. God wants us to pour out everything he has given us. Jesus poured out everything. How I know that? He went to the cross. He poured out. He died. He emptied himself. If we fail to do so, especially when we have every opportunity, we are both wicked and lazy. Jesus manifested his glory. How? He emptied himself. Don't be lazy. Laziness keeps our glory inside. People who don't want to do much never show their glory. If we want to maximize our glory and reveal our true selves, we must be prepared to work hard. We cannot be lazy and reveal our glory. People who maximize their glory are always tired. Always. Tired poured out people are the ones who change the world. 
suppose, 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 just say, suppose Thomas Edison had gone, uh, gone tired. Or, or, or not tired, but suppose he, he had got to the point where he was too lazy, he wasn't going to try and try again. No, but he tried and tried again with the light bulb. He tried and tried again until he got it right, until something happened. So we are not to give up. We have to keep trying whatever God put inside of us, vision, dream. Do not let it die. Whatever you start to do, and you, it seems as though it's going to fail, you keep on trying again. Do not quit. How many times do we allow ourselves to fail at something before we quit? Sometimes we, we conclude and say, well, maybe God didn't want me to do that. Concluding that it obviously isn't God's will. No, you have to keep at it. Just because something is difficult and takes a lot of time and effort does not necessarily mean that it isn't right. If something is right, it's possible. And all things are possible if you put your trust in God. If something is God's will, it's possible no matter how difficult it appears. If something is God's will, it is worth every minute, every dollar, and every ounce of energy we expend on it. Exposing our glory is a lifelong process. In fact, it will cost us our lives. That's what it did with Jesus. When our true glory comes out, it will kill us. It was only when he died on the cross that Jesus fully revealed his glory as the only begotten son of the Father and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Glory will consume us like a fire and drain us like poured out wine, broken bread and poured out wine. He was the one that was broken and he was the one that poured out. We are sons and daughters and we ought to be broken and poured out, poured out the glory as well. Life is about glory manifestation. You hear it's always say, be holy for I am holy. And people say, oh, only God could be holy. No, no, no. We glorify God, not only in our work, but also in pursuing a lifestyle of personal holiness. I watched something yesterday evening. I watched a preaching yesterday evening. And if you cannot discern the spirit, you'll be all hyped up and said, oh, and hear the word. But there's no, no, no spirit behind it. Absolutely none. Your lifestyle. We glorify God not only in our work, but also in pursuing a lifestyle of personal holiness. Do you realize the Bible never tells us to pray for holiness? Never. It never tells us to fast for holiness. It never tells us to dress in a certain way or eat certain foods for holiness. 
The Bible never tells us to do anything for holiness. Instead, it simply says that we are to be holy. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, it says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 to 8 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the word declares, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the word declares, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, be holy. It says, Be holy because I am holy. Whenever God, whenever God commands us to be or do something, we can be confident. We can be confident that he has already built it into us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 to 16, as I said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Whenever God commands us to be or do something, we can be confident that he has already built it into us. God will never demand anything of us that he will not equip us to accomplish. Whatever God demands, he supplies. Okay, uh, three years ago, he was commanding me, demanding me to do something he was commanding me to use the smartphone. But I, I think it was fair. I didn't know how to operate it and I don't want to make a mistake. And I just left it there and I didn't use it. But when I found myself in a jam, when I traveled and realized that I had to use the, 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 the smartphone to minister to people in different parts of the world. And so I had to quickly learn it. Whatever God demands, he supplies. So he supplied the phone beforehand because he knew there would come a time that I would have to use it for him to send these messages off. He supplies, he commands us to be holy because I am holy. This means that since God is holy and we came out of God, that we are holy as well. God made us in his image and because he is holy, we 
who are made in his image are also holy as far as it relates to us to be holy means to be set apart well, you can only be set apart really when you have, have already had a relationship with jesus christ as far as it relates to us to be holy means to be set apart as god's special possession or for god's special and exclusive use to be holy means that we willingly place ourselves completely at God's disposal for him to use as he pleases. Holiness also means to be complete and spiritually pure. A proper understanding of holiness and God's requirement that we be holy will affect both our attitude and our lifestyle. We cannot be holy and continue to think and live like the world and act like the world. God has called us apart to him to live in the world as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This calls for prayer, this call for discipline, this call for careful attention on our part to ensure that everything we say and do, as well as the work we give our hand to every day, honors the Lord and brings glory to his name. But sin impaired our ability to be holy, but it did not destroy it. The Bible never says that man is non-holy. It never says man is non-holy, which would be a reflection on our nature. Rather, it says that we are unholy, which speaks to our will and to the choices we make. When Adam and Eve choose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, they did not become non-holy. They became unholy. Sin is a choice. Possessed of the nature of God himself, Adam and Eve choose to disregard it. I could choose to sin. It's a choice. But I could choose to obey is a choice. Ever since, sin has caused us to make unholy choices and live in an unholy manner. Jesus Christ came to remove sin's impediment to our being holy. He took our sins with him to the cross, removing them from us and fully restoring our ability, our ability. He restored our ability to be holy as God is holy. The Holy Spirit who dwells, who dwells inside of us as believers is the agent of our holiness. As believers, as I said. Call from Kent Joy. One minute, I've got to disconnect this. I'm going to come. Continue. Jesus Christ came to remove sin's impediment to our being holy. He took our sins with him to the cross, removing them from us and fully restoring our ability to be holy. As God is holy. The Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers is the agent of our holiness.
promoting it and building it in our lives as we willingly yield <clears throat> to his control. It doesn't matter where you are living right now, what your circumstances are, or what you're doing, it doesn't matter. As long as you are not openly living in sin, God can take you from where you are to where he wants <clears throat> you to be. <clears throat> it all depends on your attitude. It all depends on the condition of your heart and the choices you make. The choices you make. Choose good and not evil. Your environment does not have to determine your atmosphere. I know that because I was born in Cat Island and growing up, I grew up in a very poor environment, sleeping on the floor on old but clean blankets with no pillow, having to walk to the well, having to many days with hardly anything to eat. At the same time, that was the environment. But even though I was born in that environment, you can make a, 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 a decision which way you're gonna go. Because there are environments where people are with different influences around them. There are areas in this Bahamas where we live that we could make a decision whether we're gonna stay on the block or we're gonna shake ourselves off and said, no, I can do better than that. But through God's grace, God made it possible for me to fulfill my dreams in serving God. What I'm trying to say is that is where we live is not necessarily where we have to exist. With God's help, we can create our own environment, an atmosphere of faith. And so from, from a child, I had that faith, but I didn't realize that faith was from God. You can have that confidence. You can praise, that's an environment. You can worship, that's an environment. And you can hope, hope thou in God, David said. And hope make it not a shame. The glory of becoming is discovering what we were born to do. Putting our hand diligently to that work for the glory of God. So when I was little, there I would be cleaning the church putting flowers in the church at the age of nine and 10. And so, and growing in a lifestyle of personal holiness so that everyone will meet, that we meet, will experience the presence of God. I need to say that again. The glory of becoming is discovering what we were born to do. 
putting our hand diligently to that work for the glory of God and growing in a lifestyle of personal holiness so that everyone we meet will experience the presence of God and come to understand his eternal purpose for them in Christ. So God created us to find satisfaction in our work within the framework of a personal love relationship with him through Christ. God does not want us to die in seed form. We cannot afford to be lazy. If we are, we will never reveal our glory. And God will never demand anything of us that he will not equip us to accomplish. And so, if we want to see the glory of the Lord, lift up your hands and praise the Lord. If you want to see the glory of the Lord, lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the evening, praise Him when the sun go down. Praise Him in the morning, lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Every creature on earth lives at the bottom of a great ocean. Every creature on earth lives at the bottom of a great ocean. That's awesome. It surrounds us wherever we go and provides the environment in which we live and breathe. Remove us from this ocean unprepared and we will die in a matter of seconds. It protects us from the ravages of solar and cosmic radiation and from being pelted to death by the thousands of meteors that cross over our path every year. We need the ocean. Oh my. Of course, the ocean I'm referring to is the Earth's atmosphere. I bet you thought it was in the sea. All land-based plants and animals, as well as seagoing mammals, much such as whales and dolphins, are perfectly adapted to life in an ocean of air. Our lives depend on the air. It depends on it. God prepared a perfect physical environment, then placed in it the creatures for which he had designed it. Until recent years, when concerns over pollution still pollute, it's still, it's still, it's still pollution, greenhouse gases, general air quality makes us aware human beings pretty much took the Earth's environment for granted. We took it for granted. We lived our daily lives without giving much thought to the air we breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. And I am desperate for you. And I I'm lost without you. If I'm in a closed-in 
environment. After a while, I feel like I'm suffocating. I've got to go outside. I have to get some air. We need the air to breathe. Unless for some reason we suddenly had trouble breathing, then it got our attention. We got our attention that we need that air out there that we've been polluting. There is another environment that is critical to human life. Its absence is just as deadly, but not as immediately noticeable as a loss of an air. Just as we cannot survive without air, we cannot function without the presence of God. Without God's presence, we cannot fully display our glory. Mankind lost the presence of God at the fall, but most of us act as though we don't even miss it. One of the problems across much of the religious world today is that so many live as if there is no such thing as glory. Countless believers spend their days working, playing, going to church, raising families, attending school, and doing all the other ordinary things of life with no real sense of the presence of God and seeing little evidence of His glory. They have become so accustomed to humdrum, mundane, and powerless lives that they have accepted blandness and mediocrity as the norm. You know, now they're talking about, okay, we're going to go into the new normal. I don't understand what it means. No longer do they expect to witness any great movement of God or experience any fresh outpouring of the Spirit in their hearts. Focus as they are on the daily chores, they can't even see the quiet evidence of God at work right around them. Does this describe your life? Do you find yourself working hard day after day, yet nothing seems to be happening? It happens to a lot of us. Do you involve yourself in religious activities and do all the right religious stuff and still find that your life is dull and flat? Are you starved for the presence and glory of God? That's what you're starved for. Are you starved for the presence and glory of God and longing for signs of his power in your life? Despite the experiences of so many, it is not normal for believers to go through life with no sense of God's presence or power. Walking with God under the covering shelter of his presence should be our day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience. Under his wings, I am safely abiding. Though the night darkens and tempests are wild, still I can trust him. No evil can harm me. He is my father and I am his child. Stay under his wings. Stay in his presence. When it is not, something is wrong. When you come out of his presence, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Look at the nation of Israel. The condition of God's people living apart from his presence. And thereby and therefore outside of his will. 
they went out of his will. And so the glory departed. In first Samuel, in the first Samuel, the Israelites suffered a massive defeat at the hands of the Philistines. First Samuel chapter four was verse one. Look at Israel. First Samuel chapter four, verse one to eleven. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Apec. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between... the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there had not been such a thing therefore, heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. Look at Israel. The battle occurred in two stages. During the first encounter, the Hebrews lost four thousand soldiers. Um, analyzing this setback, the Israelite leaders concluded that their defeat was due to the fact that they did not have the Ark of the Covenant with them in battle. The Ark of the Covenant was the gold-covered wooden box that God had commanded Moses to make and which contained the stone tables of the Ten Commandments. On top of the Ark was the golden mercy seat with its two golden cherubim facing each other. It was between these cherubim that the presence of God resided. To the Israelites, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very real presence of God in their midst. Shiloh was the semi-permanent location of the tabernacle, where the Ark was kept in the Holy of Holies. As priests, 
Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, accompanied the ark to the Israelites' battle, to the Israelites' battle camp. By law, only priests and Levites could transport or handle the ark. Eli was a true priest and servant of God, but had failed to pass this legacy on to his sons. The sons were corrupt and immoral. Hophni and Phineas were unfit to be priests. So in fact, there, there, there's happening today where in the church, the pastor's sons and daughters are not fit, but yet they put them in the place. Help us, Jesus. In fact, the scripture plainly states, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. The ungodly priests in charge of the ark was one indication of the problem in the Hebrew camp. The Israelites greeted the ark's arrival with great excitement and rejoicing. God was with them. Now they would be victorious. When the Philistines learned that the ark had arrived, fear swept their ranks. They had heard of the great deeds of power and deliverance that the God of the Hebrews had performed. Preparing for the worst, the Philistines geared up to fight for all they were worth, deciding that it was better to die in battle than to serve as slaves to the Israelites. But as it turned out, Israel fared worse in the second encounter than in the first. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Back in Shiloh, when Eli heard that the ark had been captured and both his sons killed, he fell backward off his chair, broke his neck and died. The deaths of Eli and his sons fulfilled a prophecy the Lord had given to young Samuel that he would judge the house of Eli, both for the wickedness of his sons as well as for Eli's failure to restrain them. There's a lot of times when, when, when I would say something and people say, oh, you think you're so holy? No, God will judge wickedness. And he would speak to you over and over and you continue to do the same thing. Well, then he comes as a judge. He's love, he's peace, he's grace, he's mercy. But yes, he's still a God of wrath. He still wants us to obey him. At the same time, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of his son, Phineas, was pregnant and near delivery. The news of the ark captured and the, and the deaths of Eli and Phineas sent her into labor. She gave birth to a son, but the travail of delivery killed her. With her dying breath, she explained her grief. She named the baby boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed from many people, but they don't know. They're just going around in circles because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of a father-in-law and a husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The name Ichabod literally means no glory. Absolutely none. It is a combination of the word Kabod, glory. 
when the ark of God departed, the presence of God departed. And when the presence of God departed, the glory of God departed. Don't let that happen to us. In reality, the loss of the ark was a visual fulfillment of what had already happened spiritually in Israel. Defeat came not because the ark was absent, but because the presence of God was absent. The Israelites had already turned away from God and were not following or obeying him by, by presuming upon God. They had ensured their own defeat. Taking the ark into battle demonstrated that they had substituted a symbol of God's presence for the reality of his presence. They treated the ark as if it were a talisman that would magically protect them. Because of their presumptuous pride, God allowed the ark to be captured. The covering presence and protection of God had already departed and they didn't even know it. Stay in the presence of God. Stay in the presence of God. Let us stay in the presence of God. Let us stay in obedience to God. When we continue in disobedience, the glory leaves. It's no more glory. It's the spirit of Ichabod. Glory departed. But let us stay under his wings. I am safely abiding. Though the night deepens and darkness are wild. Still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He is my father and I am his child. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever. Under his wings, my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. So Father, we just thank you for your word today, for your teaching to us. Help us by your grace. Help us, Lord, and your mercy to stay in your presence. Give us a hunger and thirst for your word, for worship, for righteousness. You said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, Father God, help us not to kill the seed. To pour out your glory, to pour out your love, to pour out your peace. May the peace of God pass at all understanding. Guard your heart and minds today. May you continue to know that you're loved by God. May the God of comfort comfort you this day in the name of Jesus. May his grace and mercy covers you, cover you today in the name of Jesus. And know that I love you. God bless you. Stay in his presence.